Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to see each of you here. I hope that you have already been blessed to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, it is such a privilege to come together, worship together. It's easy to take for granted, but we never can, can we? In the day in which you and I live, this may become more and more of a threat to the society in which we live, and so we need to enjoy it while we can and draw others into the worship of God. Several weeks ago, we began a study of relationships. We all are challenged by relationships, and there are individual relationships that are more challenging than others, and those individuals, we may find it difficult to love. And so we have called this series, Tough to Love, identifying certain kinds of relationships that are really difficult, really challenging. And, and the one thing we know this about the Lord Jesus is he came to set us free from everything that tries to keep us in bondage. And this morning is one of those conversations that we need to have periodically as individuals. And that is, it has to do with the desire that we have to please somebody else. Normal most of the time, but when it gets out of control, it can be disabling and it can be very hurtful to you. And so the title of this morning's message is, You Can't Make Everyone Happy. You can't make everyone happy. You could almost say amen just off the title. There's an ancient fable told that was, came out of the Greek culture. and It's a story of a man on a journey with a donkey walking, leading the donkey, and his son was with him. And he passes through a village, and somebody in the village is critical, and he says, you're a fool not to ride that donkey. You're on a long journey. Take advantage of it. And so the father thinks and thinks he ought to do that. That's what the guy said. And he gets on the donkey and he rides. Boy's walking beside him. When he gets to the next village, someone else says, wow, what kind of a dad are you making that boy walk while you ride? And so as they get out of the village, the father thinks about that, gets off the donkey, puts the boy on the donkey, and he walks. They get to the third village, and someone says, look at that lazy boy riding that donkey while his father walks on this long journey. And the father hears that, and so he gets on the donkey with the boy. And both of them are riding the donkey, and they get to the fourth village, and someone says, you all are so mean to that donkey. Both of you riding that donkey on this long journey, wearing that poor animal out. And so the last that the man was seen, he was walking down the road, carrying the donkey on his shoulders. And maybe you feel that way, trying to meet expectations of others. You feel like you're carrying a great load. And if we were sitting down talking, having a cup of coffee, you would say, Pastor, I just feel trapped. It doesn't feel like anything I do makes it better. And I always am not meeting the expectations of the people that are around me. You know, the Bible recognizes what's happening at that moment. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, why is this man on the earth put this in the Bible? The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The word snare is, is, describes the bait you would put into a trap or a lure that you would use to bring prey into a trap. Or it can refer to the trap itself, and it says that the fear of man is like a trap. 
and, and it affects your life, and it keeps you from some things, and it causes you to lose some things. When you're always having to worry about what someone else thinks, do they like this that I'm doing? Do they not like this? And you're caught up in that pleaser cycle. Well, why is it a trap? Well, let me give you five reasons quickly. What happens when you try to make everyone happy? Number one, you're going to fall into a trap because you miss God's plan for your life. If you try to please everyone, you're going to miss God's plan for your life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, you see that? But God who tests our hearts. Why are they trying to please God? Because he's the one that gave them the plan for their life. He's the one that gave them the assignment. He's the one that gave them the mission. My wife and I today are observing 34 years of marital bliss. Yeah. And in fact, between services, it was this time 34 years ago, we were done with the ceremony. And we were on to better things, and the deed was done, and, and this was the day. And, and something we discovered after we married is that we both had this desire to please the other person. And, and that's not a bad thing. When we would go out to eat, though, it could, we've actually had some disagreements in our, in our mostly perfect marriage. When we would go out to eat, and we would try to decide where we were going to eat. Where would you like to eat, I would say. And I genuinely didn't care. Why? Because I wanted to please her. And, and Amen. And then, and then she would say, I don't care. Where do you want to eat? Because she wants to genuinely please me. The point is, I won't go any further with how that might wind up sometimes, but the point is, is that when you are really trying to please someone, it affects where you wind up. It affects the direction of your life. It affects the course of your life. And if you're spending all of your time trying to please other people, what happens then is that they are determining the purpose of your life. It is their plan for your life that is being worked out. And of course, you know that's not right. You want to fulfill God's plan. What happens when you try to make everyone happy? There's a second trap. You weaken your faith. You weaken your faith. In John chapter 5, verse 44 the Lord Jesus said, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day, and they were rejecting what he said. They weren't believing what he was saying because it was socially unacceptable to believe in someone like Jesus. He didn't go through the right schools, didn't have the right training, was not the right kind of a person, and so it's politically incorrect to believe in him. And, and, and as a result of that, they were kind of looking at each other. Are you going to believe in him? Are you going to believe in him? And Jesus said, how can you believe if you're always receiving honor from one another? You're paying attention to what other people think of you. How can you believe in me? You see, whoever influences you the most, whoever you you listen to for direction and guidance, that's who you trust. And in their mind, what they say carries a lot of weight. 
And what you have done is you have made them really big and you have made God and what he thinks really small. And what you need to do is make God big. And when God is big in your mind, big in your heart, then the opinions of others are less important. And whoever is the big one in your mind, that's who you're going to trust. And so if you struggle with faith, your faith can be eroded by listening to what everybody else says and what everybody else thinks. There's a third trap we fall into. If you try to please everyone, you join in their sins. You join in their sins. In Exodus 23, verse 2, the Bible says, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. This is the Old Testament law recognized that when you try to please people, you not only weaken your faith, but you're also going to corrupt your behavior. It's going to affect how you live. And when you follow a crowd, it's going to lead you into whatever they're going to do, and mostly that's sin. Um, Peter, when he denied Jesus, do you remember why he did it? Was it not because the girl was asking him in front of a bunch of other people, and he was afraid of what they might do, what they might say, if he said anything different, so he denies Christ? Do you remember Pilate? Why did he surrender Jesus and have him crucified? Why did he do that? Because he didn't want to displease the crowd. He believed Jesus was innocent, that he hadn't done anything worthy of death. But because of the crowd, he listened to them. You remember several months ago, we talked about the 12 spies that were sent by the people of Israel into the promised land, and they were to give a report. And when they came back, uh, did, did the majority say that we could do it? We can take the promised land? How many of them said, we can't do it? You remember? Ten of the 12 said, we can't do it. And, um, and do you remember why they said we can't do it? Because they were afraid. And they were making the people of Canaan big. And they were making God small. And so you join in their sins. You're going to get led into doing things, saying things, when you're looking to please the crowd. There's an ancient parent question that I think is found in the ruins of some Egyptian building somewhere that parents would say to their children in ancient Egypt, if everyone is jumping off the roof, will you do it too? And I'm not sure exactly about the archaeology of that, but I'm absolutely certain that parents have been saying that for a long time. They recognize that a groupthink approach to life is not going to get you into a good place. There's a fourth kind of trap we get into, and it's when your values get turned upside down. If you try to make everyone happy, you're going to get your values turned upside down. Uh, how does that happen? Well, Jesus explains it in Luke 16, 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed or valued among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Completely the opposite of what God things. In that day and time, the religious people had adopted a value system that was the opposite of what God cared about. If we got into the details, I could show you that they valued people with money. They assumed that if you had money, you were blessed by God, and if you were being blessed by God, then what you were doing and how you were living was right, and it was absolutely upside down. Jesus said, you have missed it. That was the context for this statement. It's an abomination before the God, but you are highly esteeming the people who have money. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, the prophet says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
On Thursday mornings, we've been studying the book of Romans, and we're all the way to the middle of chapter 3, starting in January. And uh, very proud of that, but we eat breakfast every week. I'm under no illusions that they come just for the Bible study. It's a great breakfast. And so if you're free, we got two more Thursday mornings left this semester, 545. Guys, you are welcome to join us. Um, when we studied chapter 1, we discovered that when people turn down the truth about God, turn down the volume of his word, or silence him altogether in their minds and hearts, there are two inevitable consequences. One of those is that they're going to get their values messed up. That whether they're in the boardroom or the bedroom, their morality is going to be broken. And that's very clear in Romans chapter 1. And then when you come to the end of the chapter, it describes all of the junk that people will do to each other. People will say things that they will do against God and towards one another. And the end of the chapter in verse 32 says, not only do these people do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. And so not only do you get your values upside down, but you tend to fall into a group pattern into some kind of crowd where everybody applauds this behavior that is absolutely grieving the heart of God. And so when you and I are trying to please people, one of the effects of that is our values get turned upside down. And then there's a fifth trap that you and I can fall into. What happens when you try to make everyone happy? You won't talk about Jesus. You won't talk about Jesus. In John 7, 13, this was happening even when Jesus walked the earth. However, no one spoke openly of him. Why? For fear of the Jews. It's easy to talk about Jesus with people that know Jesus. We can come to church on Sunday morning. We can talk to Jesus about everybody we see. We can go into Bible study groups. Everybody there knows him, we think. And so we talk about Jesus there. I can even see one of you in the storm. We'll talk about Jesus in the store. We'll talk about Jesus outside the walls of the church building. It's the people that don't know Jesus that we have trouble talking to Jesus about. And typically it's because we're afraid of what they're going to think, isn't it? They wouldn't talk about Jesus then for fear of the Jews. And often we won't talk about Jesus for fear of what other people will think or say about us if we talk about Jesus. There's even study courses, how to share Jesus without fear. Why? Because we're afraid. And, um, you know, sometimes silence is golden, but the rest of the time it's just cowardly. Just cowardly. And, um, and it's because we care too much about what others think or say. You know, at this point, I even have to, I have to stop and ask myself, how many more people would hear about Jesus if I wasn't afraid to talk about Jesus? You know, if I'm honest, I have to think a whole lot more than are hearing him now. And so we have to overcome that. And as you listen to me talk about it, maybe you feel that weight, maybe it's something you've dealt with for a long time, uh, maybe from something in the past where you had a parent or a significant adult who put a lot of expectations on you. Um, maybe you have felt like it was just your personality. Well, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm a pleaser, and I can't do anything about it, but I'm tired of it, Pastor, and I'm weighted down, and I'm loaded down, and, um, and I really want some help, and I want to be free of this. So how can you be free of the trap of pleasing other people? Getting to a place where 
you don't unnecessarily offend people, but you're not tied to their approval or to their rejection. There's four things you need to start telling yourself. You know, it's pretty healthy to talk to yourself. How many of y'all talk to yourself? All right, that's pretty good. How many of y'all talk to yourself around the other people? Okay, we have another sermon for you. But it's healthy to talk to yourself because a lot of times some of the things we struggle with is because we're not telling ourselves the truth. One of the values of memorizing Scripture and learning what Scripture says and committing it to memory is the Word begins to sink into our, our thinking and we're talking to ourselves differently as we fill our minds up with Scripture. And so I want to give you four statements. These are biblically based statements, but I want to give you four statements, things you can tell yourself when you feel that weight of trying to please everybody on your shoulders. Here's the first one. Here's something you need to say to yourself. I cannot make everyone happy. Let's just say that together. I cannot make everyone happy because you can't. Let me illustrate that with this video on the screen. Watch what this guy is doing. What do you call that game that he was playing? Whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole. Now, he was excellent at it, wasn't he? He got every one of those little moles when they stuck their head up. He whacked them. You know, trying to please everybody, though, is like playing whack-a-mole. And you're just not normally going to hit all the heads at the right spot. You're not going to do it at the right time. You can't please everybody. It's not possible to do it. In fact, not even God pleases everybody. Have you realized that? God doesn't please everybody. You know this summer, there's going to come a moment when the water shuts off and it stops raining. And we're going to get to early July, mid-July, and there's going to be a weekend coming up where all the farmers are going to be praying for rain. At the same weekend that you're planning some great family reunion or outing or some other activity for your family, and you're praying that it doesn't rain, God's not going to make somebody happy. When Arkansas plays LSU, somebody's not going to be happy. And so if God can't make everybody happy, then it's reasonably certain that at any given point in your life, someone is not going to be happy with me. It's, It's inevitable. Jesus said to his disciples, said this, Luke chapter 6, verse 26, woe to you. When all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Woe means what? Not good. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. False prophets would share their message in such a way that everybody said, Amen, amen, what a great message. Everybody. And Jesus said when that happens, woe. Why? Because when you're speaking God's truth, God's truth will draw some and drive others away. God's truth is divisive. And whenever you become a man or woman who is sharing truth, someone's going to receive it, someone's going to reject it. And it is inevitable. 
You know, there's only one time when everyone is saying something nice about you, and that's at your funeral. I've been to many of them. I've noticed that that's a pattern. We all tend to say nice things about people at funerals, so don't rush it. Don't rush it, okay? So the first thing, tell yourself, I cannot make everyone happy. There's a second thing you need to start telling yourself. I can be happy without the approval of others. I can be happy without the approval of others. You know, happiness is a choice. We don't feel like that sometimes, but happiness is a choice. You're as happy as you choose to be. Some of you have spent all your life trying to please someone. They may not even be alive anymore, but you've spent all your life trying to please someone that can't be pleased. And they told you things that you still hear in your head. Um, You're never going to amount to anything. Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? And, And they... You're, you're never going to do anything in life. And they put that on you. And you, in your mind, and your heart, you have said, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. I am going to amount to something. I am going to account in my life. I'm going to get somewhere. And, and you try to please this person or persons who told you these things. And, uh, and yet, you're never getting there, are you? And it, and it never arrives, that sense of approval. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that that has happened to you, but listen, um, you can't please some individuals. When you got C's, they wanted you to get B's. When you got B's, they wanted you to get A's. When you got A's, they wanted you to get straight A's, and you couldn't please them. And, And some people can't be pleased. And listen, that's not your problem. That's their problem. It's not your fault. That's their fault. But the good news is this, you don't need their approval. You don't. You need the attitude of Jesus Christ. When you trust him and he comes to live in you, you need his attitude. And his attitude is reflected in statements like John 5, 41, when he said, I do not receive honor from men. I do not receive honor from men. And it sounds like at first glance in that translation, it sounds like he's saying, you know, people ought to honor me and they're not, so I'm not getting any. I'm not receiving any honor from men. That's not what it is. It's more active than that. He's saying, and then the Holman Christian Standard captures it in the bottom, I do not accept glory from men. I don't live there. If he was talking to a group of people who were addicted to pleasing others, he would say, I don't live like you people. That's what he's saying to this religious crowd. I don't live my life trying to please everybody, trying to live to everybody else's standard, hungering for the praise of others. I don't need it. Can you say that? Can you honestly say that? Can you look in the mirror and even say that to yourself? I don't have to have the approval of everybody else. If you need the approval of another human being to make you happy, I can promise you you're not going to be happy. In much of your life, you're going to be struggling. Human love runs out. Uh, Humans are people. They're going to disappoint you. And as a consequence of that, you better put your happiness in something or someone that can't be taken away from you, your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That can't be taken away. Uh, I love what it says in Isaiah 51, 12, and maybe this will be helpful to you. God says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. So even when you are comforted by someone, it's coming from God, ultimately. 
And uh, that's a whole Bible study in itself. But he's saying, I'm the one who meets your emotional needs, not all these other people. I'm the one who comforts you. He goes on. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of a man who will be made like grass? In other words, they grow old, they die, they divorce, there's death, there's all these kinds of things. And he's saying, I'm the one, only one who can meet your emotional needs. I'm the one who comforts you. So if you're looking for one person to meet all of your emotional needs, and so many marriages get in trouble with that. If you're looking for one person to do it, you're being unfair to them, and you're hurting yourself because you're never going to get there. No individual can meet all of your needs. God made you to know him and in that relationship to, uh, to meet your needs. And you know what the good news is? The good news is that when you are a child of God, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you belong to him, the good news is that God has said so many times in his word, I will never, never, never reject you or drop you or turn my back on you. The moment you trust him, he makes that promise. It's all through the Old Testament. Jesus said it. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He will always abide with you. He will be your forever friend. He told his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you. And so he is always there. And even if you've gone weeks without praying or having time alone with God or maybe even months and you've had a real dry spell, the moment you turn to him, he receives you. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't pile you up with displeasure. We come to him, we say, oh God, I'm sorry. And we're like the prodigal son, but Jesus told the story about the prodigal son so you would learn something about his father, his heavenly father. And when that son comes and he says, I'm sorry, what does the father do? He runs. He runs to the son. And some of you this morning, you may feel like, I haven't pleased God and I'm so far from the Lord and I've messed up so much. The moment you turn to him, and you, which is the essence of repentance, and you turn away from life without God, and you turn to life with God, he receives you. The third thing you need to start telling yourself, I need to be who God made me to be. I need to be who God made me to be. I read this week an article about a scam that occurs in some stores, in this context it was Walmart, where people will switch price tags on products in order to pay a smaller price. Some people have gotten really good at it and they produce these UPC or these, bar, these scanner barcode labels of a smaller price. So they produce one that says $19.99 and they put it on a product that normally costs $49.99. And then they take the product and they go through the line Instead of paying 50 bucks, they only pay 20 bucks for the object. And it's a con. What I want you to know is that Satan has gone into the world of values, of right and wrong, of what's meaningful, what's good and bad. He's gone into the world, and Satan has switched the price tags all around you and me. And if you and I aren't careful, we can be deceived. That what most of the world is saying, this is good, this is meaningful, this is valuable, this is really a good thing, is typically not what God says is good. And what God says is good, this is the way to life, this is what's going to give meaning to your life, this is what you need to do. The world says, "Uh uh-uh, 
Oh, that's restrictive. That's no good. And, and one of the lies, one of the price tags that Satan has slapped on a lot of people is this, this belief that if I want to find meaning in life and if I want to be significant, I need to be like somebody else and not myself. And we see that all throughout American culture, don't we? Somebody's popular, they write songs, they sing, whatever they do, they act. Someone's really popular, and, and we ask them questions about science and politics, things I'm sure that they have PhDs in, right? And we, we interview them on shows, we write articles about them in magazines, and we hang on their every word. Why? Because they're successful. And if they're successful, they must, have, they must know some things that I don't. And they must really have it. And what I need is to know what they know, think what they think, do what they do, act like they act, and dress like they dress. And the consequence of that, as we've already seen, is it can take me further and further and further and further away from the Lord. Here, here's the thing you need to know. God made me to be me. God made you to be you. And he didn't make you to be anybody else, and he made you uniquely, and he made you with a specific purpose and a plan in mind. And you are wired to fulfill the purpose that God has for you, not somebody else's purpose. The Lord Jesus uh, was his own person. And he didn't succumb to the expectations of the world around him. The Apostle Paul taught about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or test or demonstrate or find what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, his plan for you, what is right for you, what is wrong for you. What's he saying? He's saying that the more that your mind is renewed, and the way we renew the mind is we take what God thinks, his word, and we load up our mind with it. And the more that I saturate my mind with truth, there's an inner transformation that takes place. And it becomes more apparent what God wants for me. It becomes more apparent what pleases him. It becomes more apparent what his will and purpose for me is. As I load up, feed on, study his word. And that word for transformation that occurs there, that, that he wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, is a Greek word for, that we get metamorphosis from. When a caterpillar goes through metamorphosis, it becomes what? A butterfly or a moth or something. And, and it's completely changed. And he says when your mind, what you put into your mind, what you think about, what you're focused on, when you put God's word in there, you will be transformed from the inside out, made into something new. Now, in contrast to that, he says, be not conformed to this world. The world has a plan for your life. The world has a purpose for your life. And it's a mold. It's a cookie-cutter mold. And if you let it, the world and the media and even people around you, well-intentioned, will try to press you into their mold. Well, you're 18 now. We automatically know what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. You get to a certain age, you're supposed to do retirement. You get to a certain age, you're supposed to do children. You get to a certain age, you're supposed to do marriage. You get to a certain age, you're supposed to do, and you just fill in the blanks. The world has a mold for you. And if you want to be successful, this is the route you got to take. 
If you want to have significance, this is what you have to do. What's he say? He says, don't let the world do that to you. Fill your mind with truth. Be transformed. And so I need to be who God made me to be. You need to be who God made you to be. It'll set you free. The last thing that you need to say to yourself, and probably if there's only one thing that I could recommend that you remember and repeat to yourself over and over again, it's this. I only need one person to be happy with me. I only need one person to be happy with me. In real life, just one person. And you know, if you only have one person to please, it simplifies everything really fast. Life becomes a lot easier to manage. And if it's the right person, in this case, God himself, then it sets you free from the demands, the expectations of other people. Um, I, tell, I tell grandson stories every now and then. And you say, well, we're tired of hearing grandson stories. And I would say, well, too bad, I'm the preacher. <laughs> when Callum comes to see his papa, and he loves his papa, when he comes, he likes to entertain me. He does something, I think it's amazing, and he'll do it again 45 times. And every time he does it, I'll applaud him. And, uh, and he even stops to join in the applause. <laughs> because there's only one person that he wants to please. Papa, an audience of one. Let somebody else come in the room that he doesn't know. A stranger, even a family member, he didn't know they're related. That stranger walks in the room, Callum quits his performance, quits what he's doing, and he runs to his papa. The fear of man is a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are safe, it says in Proverbs 29. And so what does he do? He runs to a place of safety, and he buries his head in papa's shoulder. But the rest of the time, there's only one person he has to please. And so if that person is pleased, he's having a great day. And you know, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to come to a place where it's just one person that you have your eye on, one person whose applause you seek, and it sets you free. Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter 1 this way. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, obviously he used to and he doesn't anymore, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And the word bondservant is a Greek word doulos, which referred to a bought and sold slave who had no rights, no privileges, and belonged to a master. And Paul said, when I think of myself in relationship to Jesus and the way I live my life, I think of Jesus as my master and I am his servant. I am his slave. The only thing that can mess that up, the only thing that can keep me from being a servant of Christ is if I waste my life trying to please everybody else. You see, it sets you free. If you're a person that's trying to please others, and you walk into a room where there are total strangers there, and you belong to Jesus, you're a Christ follower, but you still worry about what other people think and say. You walk into that room filled with strangers, and you're wondering, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if what I have on is okay. I wonder if I wipe my mouth after lunch. I wonder if I need 
to, to do my breast spray. I wonder if that person's going to like me. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell them some things about me so that maybe they'll like me or they'll see how important I am or see that I've done some things that have been significant. And, and we, we enter into that situation almost defensively, a little frightened, a little fearful because I got all of these people in the room that I don't know. But what if you walk into that room and you are serving an audience of one? And there's only one person that has to be happy with you. Well, then the experience changes dramatically. You walk into that room, you've already been approved by Jesus. He already loves you. You know the Father loves you. You've been accepted in Christ. It really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And so you can go up to total stranger, after total stranger, after total stranger. You can smile, put your hand out, and act like a servant of Jesus. And say, man, it's good to meet you. I'm glad you're here. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What do you like? Um, tell me about your religious background, whatever. Start a conversation. And you're free. Because it doesn't matter what they think. And you have an audience of one. You know, all of this becomes really significant when we understand that every person here one day will stand before Jesus Christ in a judgment day and in that moment, in Luke 9, 26, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. If you really believe that, it's going to change how you live in the next five minutes. It's going to change how you live when you go from here into your week. Because I know that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus there's only one person that has to be happy with you. There's only one person that has to be pleased with you. And when you seek to please him, you're going to bless others. Remember, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to approve of you. Some people are going to reject you. But many people will be blessed. All you have to worry about is what does Jesus think? And am I ashamed of him? Is he ashamed of me? Or have I put my trust in him? And has he set me free from the need to be approved by everybody else? Here's the bottom line. Make sure that you are living for an audience of one. Make sure that you are living for an audience of one. What's the next step? Well, there may have been one or more of those four statements that you might just want to jot down on a card with scripture. Put it in your pocket. Look at it several times a day. Remind yourself, remind yourself, there's only one person that has to be happy with me, and that's who I serve. If you don't know Christ, you are very much in a trap, not only of the need to be approved by others, but you're also in a trap of not being approved by God. When you and I are without Christ, the Bible says that our sins coat us, cover us, or assign to us in a way that makes us absolutely uh, unworthy before God. And he loves us. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for every one of those sins so that all that filth of sin could be removed from you and put on Jesus. And then Jesus took your punishment, was punished in your place. And so when a person comes to Christ, it's not because they decide, well, now I'm going to be, I've been a bad person, now I'm going to be a good person. When a person comes to Christ, what they're saying is, I'm a bad person and I can't change. I've got evil, I've got sins, 
things I've done, things I want to do, and I need God to save me. And we come to Christ and we trust Him, and He washes away our sin, and then He takes His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, and He sends Him to come live inside you. And if you could see spiritually what's happening, it's like somebody starts a mighty flame in your soul. And the Holy Spirit, He begins to be for you all that Jesus would be if He were here in person. He begins to guide you, prompt you, convince you of right and wrong, teach you things from the Scripture. The Bible may have been a dead book for you for years, but when the Holy Spirit lives in you, it comes alive. And things that didn't make sense begin to make sense. And so I want to invite you today, if you've never put your trust in Christ to change you, that this morning you might do that as your starting point, first step to being free of the approval of others. If you're a believer and you struggle with this, you're not alone. And I want to encourage you in a moment during our response time, and this is part of our worship, that I want to encourage you just to talk to the Lord. You can do it here at the steps. If you need someone to pray with you, our pastors will be here at the front. Uh, you can grab a friend and come pray down here, or grab a friend and pray in the balcony or in the pew. It doesn't matter. But be bold, be free to do as God leads you to do in responding to him and what he has said. And I really believe that prayer has an amazing capacity to set people free. Not because of the words we say, but because of the God we call on when we pray. And if this is really a point of bondage for you and you've really struggled with this, one of the things, one of the steps in your journey could be to really just go with someone you trust and just say, pray for me. Pray that these bonds would be broken. Pray that I would be set free so I can just focus on the Lord and pleasing Him. And you know what? I'd love to pray with you about that this morning. There are pastors here. We would love to pray with you about that this morning. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that far from making life hard for us, your design for our life is so much better than our own. And your way, your truth, your life, that's what we need. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you, for making you small and making the opinions of others large. Enable us this morning to lay down our fear of man and our preoccupation with their approval. Enable us to stand up like the Apostle Paul and to stand before you and say, all I really want to do with my life now is please you, Lord. Is please you. So in this time of response, Holy Spirit, would you come? We welcome you here. Fill this place. Capture the attention of our minds and our hearts. Enable us to respond in a way that pleases you. I pray that someone will be set free today. For all eternity and for the rest of their life, would you set someone free? For we ask it in Jesus' name.